Good morning. It's uh, good to see you all. Welcome if you're joining us online. Uh, those of you who have uh, been sitting here and watching the slides uh, come up will have uh, seen the um, reminder of the service that we're planning in two Sundays' time for Remembrance Sunday. Um, we've got some invites um, out there, um, and it's a great opportunity to invite our friends who perhaps wouldn't normally come to a service. A bit nearer to hand, uh, next Saturday is the 5th of November. We've got bonfire and fireworks planned. And there's a, a great opportunity to build a bonfire. So um, if you're able to um, and up for that, um, Dan Hare would love to see you down here on Saturday from 11 o'clock onwards. I guess it won't take all day. But we're here to worship God, and that's a great privilege. And uh, let's join together in singing our first song, O God Beyond All Praising. Our service this morning has uh, a bit of a, a different difference to usual. Um, and in some ways, it's a service of two halves. It's a service where we think about what real Christianity could and should like look like. And then a bit later, we're going to be looking at what it shouldn't look like, what some people think it should look like. So um, in a minute, um, Vera is going to be coming and talking to us about our charity of the month, which is Caring for Life. And I've got some Bible verses to read before that, 
Um, and perhaps you'll see how this fits in with the idea of living for Jesus in a very practical way. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading at verse 13. And this says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but understand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, I'm pleased that Vera is uh, willing to come and talk to us. She's been supporting Caring for Life for a good few years, and we look forward to hearing from you, Vera. Most of us have been aware that this month's charity, uh, Forest Fold Supports, is Caring for Life. Caring for Life was started over 30 years ago by Peter Parkinson and Esther Smith, who noticed quite a lot of disadvantaged people in their city and decided to do something about it. On the outskirts of Leeds, land was purchased and homes were created for eight men and eight women, with no fear of them having to move on. Over the years, Craig House Farm has grown to such an extent that it now provides training and help in many fields, such as horticulture, horse management, animal care, craft and music, etc., as well as helping in the restaurant. Regular Bible reading and prayer is the mainstay. And when someone who previously may have been rejected by their family and shunned by society says, I am no longer alone, I am part of a family, and Jesus is my friend. That brings such joy. All this is summed up by a quote in their latest magazine. At Caring for Life, our work is based on the principle of Christian servanthood because the way we support beneficiaries and manage staff and volunteers that should all bring glory to God. The principal aim of Caring for Life is to share the love of Jesus on a daily and very practical basis with many people, some of whom might have generally known nothing of his love, doing so through loving care and example. And it is our desire that they come to a personal faith in Christ Jesus and become a part of his church. So we may we continue to uphold them in prayer. Thank you very much, Vera. Um, there's a notice board in the back right-hand side of the foyer giving a little bit more about what Caring for Life do. There's also an opportunity to sign up for their bulletins. And I would really recommend that you do that because, for me, it's one of the highlights of my month, hearing how God's Word has made a big difference in people's lives. And... It's good for us to be reminded that when God's people do what God wants, then God blesses his work. We're going to pray now, so let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you that even though we are so small and insignificant, we are called to come to the King of Heaven, the Maker of the Universe. And we thank you that nothing can stop your work, that your kingdom is coming. And Lord, we we pray that that will be something that we long for. Oh Lord, we do thank you that your kingdom is advanced by your people doing what you call us to, by people being salt and light in this world, by people sharing the good news, by people caring for those that are unattractive and unlovely and needy because that's how you care for us. Oh Lord, we do thank you for caring for life and the work they do. Lord, we thank you for the work here that many people do, whether it's in Rooted or in First Steps or in First Tuesday, in bringing the love of Jesus to others. And Lord, we pray that those of us who know you will be more and more committed to sharing the good news of Jesus and to be living in a way like Jesus did. Oh Lord, we ask that in our hearts we will be asking you to tell us what you want us to do and to be doing it. Oh Lord, you know that naturally that, that doesn't, doesn't fit with the way our fallen nature has, has got, got forward. So, so often we want to do what we want to do. We want to live our life ourselves. Lord, we pray that you'll forgive us and help us to understand in a deep way that you know best. But Lord, it's worse than that. We, we know what you want because you've told us in your word and so often we choose to do the things that you hate. So often we do the things that offend you. We're, we're unkind, we're angry, we're dishonest. Oh, oh Father, we pray that you'll help us to hate what we do wrong in a way more like the way that you hate what we do wrong. Help us to really care that we've offended you. And Father, we are so glad. We're so glad that you sent Jesus. We thank you that every bitter thought, every evil deed for every one of your children who trusts in you was paid for at the cross. But we're so sad. We're so sad that he had to suffer for us, yet so glad that he loved us enough to do that. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to weigh up and understand and appreciate your love for us. And Lord, we pray that that will warm our hearts to love you more. And Lord, as, as we live our lives, Lord, there's, there's, there's things that worry us, things that concern us. And Lord, each one of us has different concerns. Oh Lord, we pray that you will give peace to those who are awaiting operations, that they will know that you love them and that you're in control. And we pray that peace for all of us, whether we've got worries about work or our families or our school situation or our future. Father, we thank you you know and we thank you you're in control.
And Lord, we know that your word tells us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. So Lord, we ask that you will help us to do that. And we pray for those who suffer. We pray especially for Marion in hospital as they found that she's broken her bones. And Lord, she's been in there for a long time already. And Lord, you know how she loves her independence and how hard that is for her. Oh Lord, we pray that you will be with her. And we thank you that you're with us in the times of joy as well as the times of sorrow. And we pray for Kevin and Lydia as they start their married life together. Oh Lord, we ask that you'll be with them. We pray that they will be guided by you and that they will be living for you. And as we pray that for them, we pray that for all of us here. Oh Lord, we do thank you that your kingdom is coming. We thank you that it's like the mustard seed that grows into a big tree. And we pray that you will give us a a grasp that if we're your children, we're also your servants, that we are those who are called on to be part of the body that is building your church. And we thank you that that, that body isn't just a little group of people in Crobra, nor even all the believers in England, but it is all over the world. The good news about Jesus is going forth. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to rejoice at good news as people are rescued from darkness and brought into light. Amen. So it's a good thing to sing of kindness. It's even better to sing of a kindness that goes on forever. And when it's kindness that is so much that you can't measure it, it should give our hearts really good reasons to sing. After this, Martin's going to give the children's talk.
Brilliant, great. Well, if I was to shout fire, what would you do? You would get a fire extinguisher. You're big and brave, aren't you? That's right. What would you do, Katie? You would run out the door. Absolutely. Well, we have to leave in a controlled way, don't we? But we would do something. Yeah? We would hear fire and we would do something. Now, I'm going to test your memories, which is why I put a question mark up. Who can remember what the children's talk was three weeks ago? No? Two weeks ago. So you're hearing things, but are you doing anything? You're hearing things, but are you doing, are you responding to what you're being told about in the children's talk? So you can't remember two weeks ago? I think it was Josh, was it two weeks ago? Maybe. (laughs) Josh can't remember when he did it. Ah, so now you know it's Josh, we're starting to get some hands up, are we? He had the white T-shirt and the dirty T-shirt. Well done. So that's just redeemed Josh. Well done. Brilliant. Okay, so some of you, some of you were away last week. What about last week? Can you remember last week what the children's talk was? Can you remember? Yeah? John did show us, yeah. And do you know why? No? Brilliant. Well, well done for remembering it's John. Well done. So, if I put that up, can anyone remember now? Go on then, Jeff. Go on, nice and loud, go on. Brilliant. Thank you, Jeff. So, John was talking about we need to protect our minds and our hearts. And we do that by worrying about what's going into our ears and what we see. So, what we watch and what we hear. And he asked us... He told us, and us parents as well, okay, that we should be doing something. What should we be doing? What should we be doing? So this is why it's important to listen. And then actually, there's some action. So he said, if there was, you know, something nasty that we were watching, what should we do? Turn it off. If we're listening to something that's not right, what should we do? Yeah, we shouldn't be there. So when we hear something, we should react. Okay, right. Because the Bible says, okay, does anyone want to read that out? Yeah, nice and loud. Brilliant. Thank you. So be doers of the word and not just hear it. So don't just listen, actually go and do it. If I was to shout fire and you say, oh, We've got a hero here with his fire extinguisher. He's going to go and put it out. Okay, we're going to be actually fine. No. If it's the fire, we do something. And that's the Bible teaching. is really, really important. Now, I want to show you a picture. Okay? There's two lads. They've been having a great time over half term. But they want to go inside. And their mum says, when you go inside, you take your boots off. You take your clothes, your wet clothes off your, they've got these bibs on, haven't they? Okay, and you wash your hands and your faces. The boys are, yes, yes, we'll do that, mum. We know, we've got to clean before we go inside. Now, as they get to the front door, one of them goes, I've got some new Lego. 
Would you like to come and see it? And the other one goes, yes, please. Yes, please. And they take their boots off and they take their clothes, their coats off, but they forget to do something. What do they forget to do? Oh, no, they've taken their, their wet clothes off. What have they forgotten to do? And what do you think their mum would say if she found them upstairs playing with a new Lego like that? Oh, yes, you're right. <laughs> yes, yeah, but they're upstairs. There's no new carpet upstairs. That's right. But mum would not be very happy. She has told them to wash their faces. They've done part of what she said, but they haven't done all of it. So mum's not going to be very happy. Now, what about this one? Okay, we've got another one. What about this one? How many times have you said this? Got someone in a nice, loud voice. Harvey, in a nice, loud voice. What does that say? Mum, I'm hungry. How many of you have said that? Yes, okay. So you're hungry. Your body's telling you you're hungry. But you go to the table, and Mum's done you some lovely food, okay? It's a nice plate of cauliflower. Peace. Okay. What do you reckon about that? Or do you say this? I'm not eating that. Suddenly, I've forgotten to be hungry. It's not a pizza, or it's not sausages, or it's not chips. I I like those things too. Okay. All right. And you go, I don't want that. I'm not hungry. I've suddenly forgotten I was hungry. Now, in the Bible, there's an illustration of a mirror. Can you all remember what you look like? Yeah? You remember what you look like. Do you go round all the day thinking, I look like this? You don't, do you? You're only reminded when you look in the mirror. Which is why it's important that when you hear God's word and you hear some instruction, actually you think, right, I must do something about that. So if those two boys have been going, I must wash my face, I must wash my hands, I must wash my face, I must wash their hands, do you think they would have forgotten? No, they wouldn't. So when you hear God's word, when you hear some instruction, like John said, if you hear something you shouldn't be, um, if you hear something that you shouldn't hear, then turn it off, or watch something you shouldn't see, turn it off. You need to have that in your mind, thinking, if that happens, I'm going to do it. Because with a mirror, you recognise yourself straight away, and you think, I've got a bit of dirt on my face. Okay, And if you don't wash it off there and then, you'll forget about it. Yeah, So you need to act when you see yourself in the mirror. And there's a verse in Luke, and it says this. Does someone else want to read that out? Someone else like to read that out? Go on, Anthony. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. They do it, okay? They hear the word of God and do it. And blessed means that you are special in God's eyes. Okay? God's looking down and seeing... They're doing what I want them to do, and that makes them special. So when you hear things, whether it's now, whether it's in your Sunday school, okay, think about what you're being taught, remember what you're being taught, and then respond what you're being taught. So not only do you hear the word, what else are you going to do? Respond or do it. Okay, well done, if you'd like to go back. Thanks very much, Martin.
And I guess this is the turning point in the service. So we've, we've heard from Caring for Life, who've heard what God tells them to do and done it. Martin's been saying to the children, when you hear what God wants you to do, do it. I mean, in a minute, I'm going to be reading the passage that John's going to be teaching us from. And in it, there's the common but completely wrong idea that asceticism, and if it's a word I can't say, it's probably one I don't understand, is the right way to be right with God. And what people who teach that idea is, is that to be holy, you should kind of go out in the desert, deny yourself and think some holy thoughts. So that's when it, when I read asceticism, and probably muck it up again, um, that's the idea. It's the idea that holy living is somehow more holy if you sit in the desert or walk on glass or don't do this or do do that. So hopefully that will help us understand why Paul is so against this. We're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 16. And you'll see that the Bible's passage starts with therefore. And whenever we find therefore in the Bible, it's always worth asking ourselves, what's it there for? And it comes following on from the stuff beforehand, where Paul has been telling these Christians all about what Jesus has done. How Jesus has paid completely for every one of their sins when he died on the cross. And that means the Christian is free from the power of sin. So Paul then comes on and says, because of this, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we're looking forward to John explaining that to us. But before that, uh, we're going to sing. I remember that what we could do, even our best of best efforts,
will never be enough to pay the price for our own guilt. So let's stand and sing. So as we carry on in our series on Colossians, we get to this passage in chapter 2. I'm just going to give you the page number so that you can follow it if you've got a Bible or on your app. And we're on page 984. Now there are things that are helpful and there are things that are harmful. In workplaces, there's guidance about harmful substances, the COSH regulations, and what we have to do with substances that are hazardous to health. And used wrongly, they can do some damage. So the certain things, maybe strong cleaning products, other chemicals that have to be stored away very carefully under lock and key because they're harmful. Well, it may surprise you, or it may not surprise you, to find out that religion can be harmful. Religion can be, if you like, a harmful substance. If you like, some of it belongs in the the sort of substances cupboard under protection 
out of the way. It's something to beware of. Uh, maybe you're new to thinking about God, and uh, to you everything seems good, and uh, everything to do with churches seems okay. It's a, a new burst of enthusiasm in your interest. But our passage shows that that's not the case. That it's not all good to do with religion. It's not all good that comes under, if you like, the guise of Christianity. Sometimes things which seem very religious seem to have the high ground, seem to be on a vantage point, seem to be something so devout and committed and something to look up to. And yet our passage is going to remind us that actually it's harmful. So we're starting to think, I hope, well, what sort of religion is harmful? Is it, is it a, a religion that it has or is its influence in me? Is it a, a religion which I'm influencing others by? Well, these are good questions to be thinking about this morning. I have found this passage very thought-provoking. There's a lot in this to, to, to chew over, to think about. It's not a week of home groups, um, but it would be in many ways good if it was, because this is the sort of passage that just deserves teasing through and thinking through what the implications are. Um, maybe you discuss with some friends, or maybe at the family mealtime sometimes over a message. Well, this would be a good one to do. Thought-provoking stuff. We left uh, last week with uh, Colossians. These were youngish Christians and they were being urged to carry on in Christ. Verse 6 of chapter 2 was pretty key, wasn't it? Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The road behind may have been Christ and forwards it should be Christ. The building foundation, remember that picture? It's been Christ, so it should be as you go upwards. And we realised that there were people that were trying to harm them. We saw that in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. And that there were... There was a, a religious sort of side to this teaching which was coming upon them. And as we go further into the passage today, we get a, a bigger flavour of what that was. And I think it will make us chug through, think through how it might be relevant to us. Um, we're going to draw three particular things out of the passage. not going strictly through in order, but draw three things in out of, of this religious influence which was on these Christians at, Colossian, at Colossae. And we're going to look first at its specialities, if you like, um, what it stressed, what it, what it majored on, what it emphasised. What, what were the main notes of this false influence that was threatening the people at Colossae? Well, I think if you look through the passage, you're, you can start to see some of the words which show what these false teachers were hot on. And if, if you think about it, you can group them, I think, undo, under three R's, so let's do that, there's sort of three R's which were their specialities or their, what they stressed, their, their hot topics, their, their, what they majored on, their big issues. 
And each of them could make a, a normal Christian feel quite ordinary and substandard. The first is um, religion. Religion. So in verses 16 and 17, it talks about questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, that's a feast, or a Sabbath. So there were foods which they were not allowed to have, or foods that had to be prepared in a a certain way. They had a, a detailed list of what was okay and of what was not okay. They had special days. I don't think this is so much the one in seven creation pattern in the Ten Commandments, but there were Jewish feasts, and there were the monthly feasts, the new moon feasts. And so they look, they filled your calendar, if you like, and they shaped your shopping list with their religious ideas, with their religious practices, with the things they insisted on. Verse 23 says about it, where it says, these have an indeed appearance of wisdom promoting self-made religion. So there were religious practices, there was a lot of them, some of them were drawn from the Old Testament, but they were added to as well. Well, the things in the Old Testament were a shadow, we're told in verse 17. These are a shadow of things to come. Maybe some of the children, you've, you, you, you've had a, a light bulb in front of you and a, a white wall behind you and you, you've tried to make different shapes of a chicken or a duck or you've used different thing, things with your hand and you've had a, a shadow behind and yeah, it's been a, quite a laugh and it's a bit of a shape but it's nothing compared to going to a zoo or an animal farm and seeing the real thing, is it? Well, in the Old Testament, you had so many things which were given us the shape of Christ to come. But in the New Testament, he's come, he's fulfilled, and you don't get so worried about the shadows when you have the real thing with you. But they were saying, these things must be kept. Of course, you must attend the Jewish feast. You must stop work on that feast day. You must eat this special meal. The men must be circumcised. And you imagine the ordinary Christian sometimes thinking, well, well, I don't do that. And I haven't done that. And they say, but you must, it's essential. And no good Christian would miss out on these things. Why weren't you at yesterday's new moon feast? I saw you eating your bacon sandwich the other day. And there's lots of religion. And revelation was another aspect. This is revelation on top of what God has given in his word, the Bible. So it was extra revelation. They, they thought they had new insights and they experienced special experiences. You get this in verse 18 in the second half. The worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So, worship of angels, probably worship with angels. Angelic worship, what was their worship like? Well, there it was angelic-style worship. It was something, it was a cut above the rest. They had lots of visions. 
and they explained them in detail and they were full of them, they were puffed up with them. And you need to have them too if you were going to be really spiritual, if you were going to make the grade. And the ordinary Christian would think, well, well, I haven't. I haven't had them. I just trust trust in Christ as my saviour and I follow him as my Lord, but I haven't had all of these special experiences. I'm, I'm not sure I'm quite the ticket. I just feel a bit substandard, a bit second class. Perhaps I'm not genuine, actually, after all. And there can be some sort of mystical influences emphasising times of very special heavenly meditation. Or there can be some forms of charismatic experience where there's visions and and dreams and ecstatic um, experiences. And there can be some figures in church history who God has dealt with in remarkable ways and that these things can be made to seem essential and you look down on others who don't have them. Well, they haven't read the books we've read. They haven't uh, experienced the conviction of sin that we've experienced. They haven't had this vision of Christ on the cross and his suffering that I've had. And it was emphasising these extra revelations. And it had this. Perhaps you're there, the third R. Any guesses for the third R? Rules. Rules. They had lots of high standards and they were mainly don'ts. You get an idea of it uh, later in our passage, verse 20 and 21. It talks about submitting to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Had a rule for everything, especially about food and especially about days. And you get this word twice that we've come across, asceticism. That self-denial for the sake of it, a sort of depriving of enjoyment, thinking that hardship is actually helpful. The word means humbling. It's probably connected with fasting, depriving yourself of food and thinking that depriving yourself of enjoyment is a good thing and produces good things. They were severe with themselves. Verse 23 severity to the body. I saw a film about uh, Martin Luther the last couple of days. It was very, very interesting. Martin Luther was a key figure in the Reformation, um, 1500s, and uh, you see him in, in the way it's acted out. Before he was a believer, whipping his own back, thinking it's going to help him thinking it's going to give him peace, thinking it's going to promote his sort of religiousness. In some European countries, people on pilgrimages go up mountains in barefoot because to be cut and to be hurt and for it to be hard is is good. They had man-made rules, verse 21, verse 22 rather, according to human precepts and teaching. Now there are some do's and don'ts if you like in 
the Christian life and Christian living, and we're going to come on to that. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 are very practical. There are standards for living, but these were very detailed, man-made. We can tend to think that lots of rules is is good, that somebody is holy and good if, they, if, if there's a lot of things they deprive themselves. We can think it's impressive. Wow. He hasn't had any of that, doesn't do any of that, she doesn't do this. Wow, what a what a committed, devout person. And we can feel very inadequate. Well, that's not how I live. But sometimes good and helpful guidelines become blankets and they become imposed on everyone else and they become Extra rules and standards that are insisted on. Well, what might these be? I always find this, you know, I find this the hard thing in preparing and speaking is the application. You know, what is a right and helpful way to think about this for us? What could be some things? All Christians must give up something for Lent. Well, that could be helpful. Many Christians do it. They find it a blessing. But uh, it's not in the Bible something to insist on. Many of us don't do something specifically at Lent to make it a rule and a standard. Sometimes people say, Christians must be teetotal. They mustn't have any alcohol. Well, that might be very sensible for some Christians, or out of concern for others they're very close to, but it's not a biblical requirement. Christians never go to the cinema. That was it a a generation or so ago. Well, there's probably a good number of things to avoid going to the cinema to see, and they're connected with the children's talk that we had last week. But can you make it a blanket rule? Can you make it almost the major barometer of holiness and worldliness, as has been the case sometimes? All Christians must have a quiet time first thing in the morning. Now, I have to say, it's been my practice for most of my Christian life, and it's a real blessing. I find late in the day is difficult, and I find I need daily help from God's word and I want a time to daily pray so there's, there's, there's a lot of things going for such things. But does it have to be in the morning? Somebody else listens to God's word or messages as he drives his van? Somebody else is a, a late evening person? Maybe somebody else does 12-day shifts and uh, whilst they do uh, read and pray a little each day, they actually find that they concentrate on their days off. Well, is that good or bad? Or Does it mean they're not a Christian because they don't have their 7am quiet time? Sometimes it's called legalism. A Christian life made up of lots of rules majoring on specifics. And you know, some of us, by temperament are very prone to this. We want to turn everything into an action or a standard or a rule. And we want everyone else to keep it. And we feel very smug that we do keep it. 
and we feel very superior that others don't keep it. And we wonder if they're right with God because they don't keep it. And we sometimes wonder if we're right with God if we fail to keep it. We like to tick all the boxes. It's a danger of legalism. So there were the specialities. Religion, revelation, rules. If you like, you can almost have a, if you're opening the the harmful substances cupboard and there it is and it's got some labels on it, sort of extra religion, extra revelation, extra rules. And now we want to think about its harm. You know, what is, what does, in what way does it harm? according to this passage. What was the effect on the Colossians? What could be the effect on them? Why was Paul so concerned about it? So that he comes to it and spends, you know, a fair bit of time writing about it. Well, you see the danger, especially in verses 16 and 18, where we start and then verse 18 with with the let nots. Therefore, verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Its harm was that um, it judges, it, it passes judgment. That's what it was doing here, or that was the danger. It was looking down on the Colossians because they didn't have enough of the three R's. It was talking bad of them. Um, the word actually of, of passing judgment is a sort of intimidating word. It was, in, it was bullying them in a way. It was trying to push them around according to what the teacher's wanting. You know, we do have to be so careful. Religion can be, can have a power and an authority about it and it can be misused. And that was what the danger was at Colossians with these teachers judging the ordinary Christians because they didn't match up to the three R's that they were emphasising. Or, it disqualifies. That is, it discounts, it makes them say that they're not Christians. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on. Well, that's no good, they don't do that. They're, They're not saved. And it can be like that. You know, think, you know, the application is always the difficult thing, isn't it? Calls himself a Christian, but he goes cycling on Sunday. She calls herself a Christian, but she's never been to the prayer meeting. says he's a Christian, but he doesn't understand Reformed theology. Hardly thinks she's converted. You see how much makeup she wears? Maybe we've dished this out to others. Maybe we've been overwhelmed by a sense of these things ourselves. Judging. Disqualifying. Now, there's a balance here. There is a, there's a place for discipline. I've actually I've had um, bubbling away, if you like, 
uh, for quite a few months a sermon on discipline, which hasn't come out, come, hasn't come out yet. I wanted to look at the Bible teaching on discipline because I think it's a, a lost, um, a lost concern sometimes these days. And when we disciple someone, we encourage them to live for Christ in practical ways. We suggest certain things. We encourage them in those ways and it can often be very helpful to them. But we just need to be so careful that we don't make our sort of practical suggestions blanket expectations that we look down on others over. And we judge them over. And we disqualify them over. And we need to make sure that others don't do that to us on things that are not right to that they look down on us and make us feel very substandard and they question our faith. Those are things that shouldn't be questioning our faith when we do trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour and he died for us and we are seeking to live for him as Lord. And so if we're in our cupboard, we've got our harmful substance and extra revelation, extra rules, extra religion, and it can seriously damage, discourage Christians when it's carried out. Well, trying to bring out the main aspects as best as I could, having looked at it this week, and this is the other thing I want to bring to your attention, is its flaws. It's flaws. Well, we may say we've been getting quite a bit of that already as we've been going through the passage. Well, I think there's, there's two particular ones that I want to, which the passage, I think, brings out and which I want to, to bring out as well. And the first is uh, being headless. It's headless. Their religion was headless. It, it all seemed so impressive. They all seemed so devout. And yet, look at verse 19. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So there was a lot happening. There was a lot to show off about. It had an outward appearance which seemed so impressive. But they'd lost contact with the head, which was Christ. Growth comes by relationship with Jesus. Growth comes as we under, as we have faith in him, as his spirit is at work in us, as we understand what he's done, as we understand who it is and it works through us. And they'd lost connection with the head. They were headless. Well, you know what happens if you're headless? You don't last very long. You, you have, talk of a headless chicken. Well, it does last a little while, apparently, doesn't it? You know, perhaps up 10, 15 seconds, it might uh, sort of scamper around when it's been decapitated. In fact, you find these things looking into it, there is actually a, a chicken who lived for 18 months after having its head cut off, called Mike. It was in the 1940s. The, the angles, the t- decapitation, and, and what happened afterwards meant that it left on with pretty well with uh, no eyes and no face and no beak and it was quite a feature and I think they made a bit of money through it. But the general pattern is if you lose contact with the head, there's no life, it doesn't carry on. And they were headless. They weren't connected to Christ. They had so much to seem to sort of show off about, that seemed right, that seemed devout, that seemed impressive. 
but they were not connected to the vine. They had no life of Christ. The gospel wasn't warming their hearts and changing their lives. It was all so brittle and lifeless. So their religion was headless and their rules were useless. Their rules were useless. Now this may seem quite shocking. What seemed like such impressive, detailed rule-keeping and yet in verse 18 it talks about them being sensuous. That's just sort of natural, driven by natural, often wrong passions. Verse 20. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirit of the world, why as you still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? So it's saying they're worldly. What might be projected as totally otherworldly and highly spiritual is here called worldly. And then in verse 23, which is our sort of main take in this point, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You ever realise that um, some legalism is not just over the top, it's no help at all. Its focus is all on the outside. It ignores the need for a healthy heart, uh, leading to a healthy life. It, it may trust in the rule-keeping rather than in Christ. It has excessive man-made rules which divert you from bigger concerns. Mere rules don't grow holiness, they grow pride. Mere rules don't grow joy, they grow judgmentalism. Mere rules don't grow faith, they grow fear. Our focus should be on Christ, what he has done, what he has achieved, and allowing that to flow through us. Let's take an example. I hope this is helpful. I'm just trying to put some sort of flesh on the bones of this. So imagine a, a group of Christians and they come very focused on how to dress for worship and for Sundays. And perhaps in, in the outset that was quite good-hearted. Um, some of them were saying, well, we, we respect God. If you went to, see, uh, if you went to Buckingham Palace, you'd, uh, you'd dress well and we're coming to a place to worship God and... Um, so there were some good thoughts behind it. Others feel well, they're meeting with family and it's all to do with the heart, not the outside. They felt differently. But, you know, it started as a good heart and then it becomes the prime focus. And they, they have high standards. And uh, the men should wear, have ties and wear suits. And the boys as well. And the men should wear waistcoats as well. And uh, the ladies, girls, uh, very nice dresses, certain length, certain spectrum of of colour is right and suitable. And the thoughts on the footwear as well as what is acceptable and wasn't uh, and how shiny it should be and how sort of hard-soled it should be. 
And they have these rules and there's a big focus on them as an expectation and everyone is very aware of these standards. And does it help them on a Sunday? This Christian group I'm talking about. Well, they're feeling stressed before the service at the start of the day. Have I got it right? Have I, is everything in order as it should be? Did, did somebody see me walking the dog in my casuals earlier in the day? And then as they go out the door, well, they're feeling quite smug. They feel they can tick all the boxes. They feel they're acceptable and, and right as they go to a place of worship. Uh, they feel quite superior. And uh, uh, Frida's new dress is not quite right, and they notice. And Harry has come in jeans and trainers. And has it helped them worship, grow as Christians, serve others together, worship the Lord, grow in Christ? What's the dinner table discussion? Frida and Harry. And so you see that certain approach to rules actually work against growth, not for it. If you like, they suffocate the work of the Spirit and the work of the Gospel rather than allow it to flourish. Now, you pick examples like that and sometimes we think, oh, I know communities like that. The thought is to get the thought processes going and think about, hmm, are there ways in which I'm going along this road, ways in which I'm majoring on rules that don't promote godliness. Trying to fight holiness in a man-made legalistic way. There's a whole area there to think about in terms of personal holiness and growth. So, some religion can be harmful, like a hazardous substance, dangerous. But other religion, if we call it religion, other aspects of faith can be so different. You go to a fridge, and a fridge has got in it stuff which is good to eat, and nutritious, and helpful. And you go up to the stairs and the medicine cabinet, maybe in the medicine cabinet, are things that heal, and do good, and soothe, and help. And you know, when when things are, have got, if you like, a high concentrate of Jesus in them, when they focus on Jesus and what he has done and our relationship with him and the cross and the resurrection and how it's worked out in relationships, where you've got things that focus especially on Christ, you have things which do you good, which help you and promote growth. And as we go into verses... 1 to 4, chapter 3 next week, we'll be led along that pathway away from harmful religion to growth-producing, Christ-centred, gospel-hearted religion, which is what we want. There are plenty to think about from this morning. Let's just have a moment's quiet. Maybe some aspect of what we've looked at. You thought, hmm, I'm intimidated by that, or I've been giving that to others, and it's a time to 
bring it before the Lord in personal prayer. Let's have a moment. Well, our closing song focuses on our worth not being in what we are, what we've done, but on the cross of Christ. So shall we be turned to a a high concentrate of Jesus as we come to our last song. Thank you.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that after uh, needing to think through and be challenged by where religion can be false and harmful and proud and Christless, we thank you to be drawn back to think of the Saviour, the satisfaction we have through him, his worthiness, what he has accomplished. And our simple trust is in him. It's not what our hands have done that can save us. It is your grace, your love through Christ. And we praise you for our security in him, our qualification in him, that we are accepted because of him. We praise you for Jesus. Amen.